Sometimes you got to praise God for what didn't happen. Thank you, God. Turning your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 12. The Old Testament book of 1 Kings, chapter 12. One of our earlier members of Strong Tower is in town visiting his grandchild. David Switzer is here. So good to see you, my friend. Y'all give it up for my homeboy, David. He's a key part in the men's ministry and worship. I'm surprised he didn't pull a David this morning and dance all around this church because he's known to do that. But it's good to see you visiting from Florida. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you. It's already been a great experience. We found the joy we need in your presence. And your joy has given us strength. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that we are the sheep of your pasture. You love each and every one of us. You not only made us in your image, given us dignity and value and personhood, but for those of us who are born again, Lord God, we have the spirit of the living God inside of us. And we're grateful that this treasure, though it's in cracked jars of clay, you have sealed us until the day of redemption. We thank you for the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross and his subsequent resurrection. We thank you that we are more than conquerors as a result of what Jesus did for us. We thank you that we're on the winning side. We are on your side, oh God. And we're blessed because of that. Now, Lord, would you speak to us from your word, your holy word. You have so ordained that men and women teach the people of God. Use me now in this hour, Lord, to teach your people. Thank you, Lord, that you will work with my frailties, my limitations, my shortcomings to get the message across to your people. Help us, as Jonathan said, to lead better than how we came in because we worship you and we've got a word from you. So open up our ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say to us and to our church. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, I want to say congratulations to all of our graduates. You made the decision to finish what you started. You made the decision when it wasn't easy to finish what you started. You made the decision when other friends and roommates and classmates dropped out for various reasons, some legitimate, some illegitimate, but you made a decision to finish what you started. And we give you congratulations today. Because we understand that not all of us have finished what we started. Not all of us have that distinction of being called graduates. But the good news is that it's not too late. Um, as we were learned, uh, reminded by Ben this morning, that if you are alive, there is hope. And so for some of us, um, we may have a call to go back and finish what we started. 13 years after leaving college for the NBA, Steph Curry, my favorite NBA player, received his degree from Davidson 
college 13 years after leaving for the NBA. He went back. Actor Anthony Anderson graduated from Howard University 30 years after leaving college. 28 years after leaving college for the NFL, Jerome Bettis, Hall of Famer, graduated from Notre Dame at the age of 50. So it's never too late to finish what you started. But once you graduate, the question every graduate usually gets from well-meaning friends and family is, so what are you going to do next? Once you graduate from the sixth grade, from high school, from college, grad school, what are you going to do next? And this simple question can be very hard for some of us to answer. To answer this question of what are you going to do next, the graduate has to skip the celebration and move quickly to fulfilling other people's expectations. You didn't hear what I just said. When you ask a graduate that, and you mean well, some of them can't answer that question uh, with accuracy, and so they move quickly from the moment of celebrating into fulfilling other people's expectations by giving the right answer, if you will. Because if you don't answer this question correctly for some people, what you just accomplished is all for naught. Because if you can't go to the next thing, then this thing means nothing. But we're in a culture that when an NBA team wins a championship or a football team wins the Super Bowl, and while they're celebrating, the reporter's going to ask, well, what do you think about next year? Can you let me be in this moment right now? Next year is going to take care of itself. I'm in this moment. And what that says is that as a culture, we don't know how to be still. We don't know how to celebrate accomplishments because we think life is supposed to be one accomplishment after another. Yes, life is about doing one thing after another, but can you stop and pause? Uh, what did Vanilla Ice say? Stop. Recognize or whatever. See, I, I don't know Vanilla Ice, but, you know, if Felicia was in here, she could tell me word for word. <laughs> what you say, Deacon Ron? Stop what? Stop, recognize, and listen. How you know Vanilla Ice, man? All right, anyway, I ain't going to mess with you. <laughs> he a DJ. He a DJ. But if we don't answer that question well, people feel pressure like, what's wrong with me that I don't know what's next? When it may have taken all that they had within them to accomplish this goal. Gap years are real, and some of us need to breathe. This is why you and I need wisdom. This is why you and I need counsel. All graduates need counsel about what to do next. But graduates aren't the only ones who feel the pressure about life's next move. All of us, no matter who we are, we need counsel about the moves that we're to take in life. You see, a person who's married may be in a place where he or she needs counsel about whether or not to get a divorce. 
A person who's divorced might need counsel about whether or not to get remarried. A person buying their first house needs counsel about what that responsibility entails and the best loans and so on and so forth. They need counsel from real estate agents. A person buying a car needs counsel. A person about to undergo a medical procedure needs counsel. So much so that they will say, hey, I'm going to get a second opinion about this procedure. A person who is considering adopting or a family that's thinking about adopting, they need counsel from people who have adopted from the, count, from the adoption agency. If you're thinking about going on to school and furthering your education, you need counsel about that, where to go, how much it's going to cost, and on and on. If you are considering going on the mission field, you need counsel before you do something like that because Jesus said before you build a tower, it's wise to sit down and estimate the cost of what it's going to take to build that tower. Because many people will start to build, but because they didn't sit down and think it through, they walk away from the building project. And so it's wise to get counsel on the front end so it can help you on the back end. A lot of times we need counsel when we're thinking about starting a business, going into business. Who can I talk to? Who can give me wisdom? Or going into the ministry. I know some preachers, if you go talk to them about going into the ministry, they will tell you, don't do it. Man, okay, all right. <laughs> I guess you're having a bad experience in ministry where you're telling people don't do it. But again, we all need counsel. And we know that there is good counsel and there is bad counsel. There's godly counsel and there is ungodly counsel. I thank God for Psalm 1 verse 1 where it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That man is blessed. That woman is blessed. And if you watch the progression here, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, who stands not in the path of sinners and who doesn't sit down in the seat of the scornful. You go from walking to standing to sitting when you're hanging around bad counsel. But I like the next verse where it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And so we need the Lord because ungodly counsel is toxic counsel. Toxic is poison, deadly Toxic counsel is evil counsel that is contrary to the word of God. Toxic counsel is counsel that will destroy your life and the lives of other people connected to you. I got to say that again. Toxic counsel is counsel that will not only destroy your life, but it will destroy the lives of other people connected to you. Today, we're going to learn how King Rehoboam rejected good, godly counsel and chose to follow ungodly, toxic counsel. That's what we're going to see today from Scripture. Oh, you got to read your Bible. It's better than soap operas. Oh, you got to read your Bible. There's some stories in Scripture. My goodness. And King Rehoboam, Solomon's son, is going to teach us a lot today if we have ears to hear. Because toxic counsel not only destroyed his life, but it split the nation of Israel into two kingdoms, and it caused innocent people to die because one man 
adhered to toxic counsel. The nation of Israel was split into north and south. Many people died, and it was a toxic situation. So let's talk today about toxic counsel. Toxic counsel. Verse 1 of 1 Kings chapter 12, toxic counsel. Lord, help us to learn today. And Rehoboam, this is Solomon's son. Solomon is dead now. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it. He was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt. Stop and pause. Jeroboam, according to the scripture, was an upright man. In 1 Kings 11, verse 26 and 28, it says that Jeroboam was a servant of King Solomon. In other words, he worked for the king. He was in his administration. Verse 28 of chapter 11 says the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. That means he had integrity. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Jake Joseph. And so Solomon saw what was in this young man, and he empowered him. He was a man of valor, a man of integrity. He was industrious, and Solomon was a great builder. So to place this man over these building projects says a lot about this man. But what we don't see right here in chapter 12 is something that happened in chapter 11. And that was because Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, chose to live like a fool. He had the, the knowledge, but he didn't apply it, which is what wisdom is, and that's the irony. He's the wisest man to live. He knew all these proverbs. He had all this knowledge. God gave him this gift, but when it came time to apply what he knew, he didn't always do that. And because he multiplied wives, 700 wives, 300 concubines, 1,000 women altogether, he married women who worship other gods. And they turn his heart away from Yahweh and turn them to the God of Melech and the, the, the gods of the Ashtoreth and all these other kinds of things. It was just an abomination. And God had warned him and told him, I appeared to you twice. How dare you turn to these gods of your foreign wives? And God told Solomon, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you because of your sin. But he says, I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to be merciful. I'm not going to take it away from you while you're alive. I'm going to take it from your son. And I'm going to be merciful because I made a covenant with your father, David, that, that I'm not going to take all the tribes away from you, but I'm going to take 10 of them away, and I'm going to leave Judah and Benjamin to your son who will reign in your place. So God told Solomon, I'm going to tear the kingdom apart because of your sin. So Rehoboam becomes king when Solomon dies. Jeroboam, who was a righteous man, Solomon said, this must be the guy who's going to take 10 kingdoms from my son. So Jeroboam flees and goes to Egypt and stays there until Solomon dies. When Solomon dies, whose name means peace. Wow, that's crazy. Who puts a... a, a a hit out on Jeroboam. Jeroboam comes back and he becomes the spokesman for the people as they go to Rehoboam, who's beginning his reign. Just had to give you some context. Watch this now. Verse three. 
that they sent, they, the people, sent and called him. That's Jeroboam. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam. So Jeroboam, this godly man, comes back from Egypt. He becomes the spokesman with and for the people to talk to the new king, Rehoboam. The Bible goes on to say in verse 3, that then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. Again, Solomon was a great builder. He uh, put a heavy yoke on the people by way of work and also by way of taxation to pay for all these buildings. So he was wealthy, but he was also a builder, and he led the people with a heavy yoke for 40 years. Verse 5, so he said to them, Rehoboam, depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people. So we see right now he's on the right track. He goes to the elders, to the older folks who stood with Solomon, who understood politics and governance. He goes to them and says, how would you advise me? Verse 7, and they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to these people today, and serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. You think that was a good word? I think that was a good word. Because he's saying to, or they are saying to Rehoboam, serve these people. Speak to them kindly. If you treat them well and serve them, they will serve you forever. That was a good word because the best kind of leaders are servant leaders. Can I get an amen? amen? The best kind of leaders are servant leaders, which means the best kinds of kings are servant kings. I wish you'd listen to the old folks. The best kind of presidents are servant presidents. The best kind of bosses are servant bosses. The best kinds of teachers and professors are servant teachers and professors. The best kinds of pastors are servant pastors. The best kinds of parents are servant parents. And the best kinds of Christians are servant Christians. Where do we get this from? Because the best kind of Messiah is a servant Messiah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So everybody wants to be served, but few of us want to serve. Few of us want the mantle of a servant. We definitely don't like being called a servant. But the Bible says that those who serve are the greatest in the kingdom. And so they tell this young man who's 41 years old when he gets to the throne, if you just serve, man, if you just serve, and if you speak to the people properly, oh, man, they'll be with you. Verse 8, 
There's a big but right there. But. So he goes and gets counsel from the old cats. Verse 8, but. He rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And consulted the young men who had grown up with him who stood before him. Y'all see what he did, right? I want to hear what the old folk got to say, what the gray heads got to say. I'm going with my partners who grew up with me, which means they're about your age. They're in their 40s. And they stood before you, which means that because you were in a royal family, they were yes men. They said everything you wanted to hear. And so he says, I'm going to consult them. And he said, verse 9, what advice do you give? How should we answer this people who has spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? So he's asking the younger crowd. Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him saying, thus you should speak to this people who has spoken to you saying, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the younger crowd says, be harsher on the people than your father was. He used whips. You use scorpions. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Verse 12, so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had directed, saying, come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him, and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, which was toxic counsel saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people for the turn of events was from the Lord. There's providence right there. That he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. There was a prophet who prophesied to Jeroboam that you would get 10 tribes Verse 16, now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king saying, what share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. In other words, the people pulled away from him. So Israel departed to their tents. Verse 17, but Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah the southern kingdom. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue, but all Israel stoned him with stones, and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. So he gives them the counsel that the young guys gave him. The people said, can you lighten the load? Can you lighten those taxes? He comes back and says, I'm going to be harsher on you than my dad was. People are like, okay, all right, we're out of here. 
and they back up. Then Rehoboam, in his pride, has the audacity to send the tax man to him. Because that's what happens with Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue. Homeboy went out collecting. They were like, oh, now pick up them stones. They gave him something, all right. They didn't give him no money. They gave him some bricks. Stone that got. So an innocent man dies because a powerful man follows toxic counsel. And not only is an innocent man going to die, but now the kingdom is being split into two kingdoms, the north and the south, all because one man did not want to listen to good godly counsel, but he chose to listen to bad toxic counsel. When you need counsel, who do you go to? Who do you talk to? Do you only ask your friends? People who grew up with you, people who don't know as much, or rather they know about the same that you know, which is little to nothing. I got a couple of principles I'm going to hit you with, and then we'll go. But before I do that, as I'm dealing with toxic counsel, in the midst of this passage, there's also what I see, I see toxic masculinity up in here. So I, I ask you to permit me to just pause and, and park for a second. On this verse here, uh, I guess it's verse 10, where he says, uh, they're, they're telling Rehoboam what to say to the people. Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Tell him, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. All right, I, I, I'm in the Bible here. And I'm about to explain a Hebrew idiom to you and bring it up to contemporary cultural standards of today. So if you get mad at me for what I'm about to say, get mad with the Holy Ghost who inspired this scripture and included this Hebrew idiom in scripture because all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and structure. For, for correction in righteous living. So I'm going to hit this real quick. What does this Hebrew idiom mean where he says, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist? Well, the King James comes along and just lets you know that the word waist is technically loins. My little finger, the pinky, is going to be thicker than my daddy's loins. Mm -hmm. What he's saying is my little finger is going to be thicker than my father's private Parts. Don't run. Don't get super spiritual on me right now. The Bible addresses everything, even the stuff we don't want addressed. But we got to address it so that our kids have an understanding of what's going on in the kingdom of God. You see, Solomon's waist or Solomon's loins were legendary. How many women did I say he had? 1,000. A legend. The Wilt Chamberlain of Israel. But Rehoboam is saying, I am going to be more of a man than my father. Because what we're going to see is that Rehoboam, like many men, doesn't understand what true manhood is. But he's like, look, my father's waist. 
My pinky is going to be thicker than my father's waist or my father's loins or my father's genitals. My God. Solomon, who was known for his sexual prowess, is out there, but Rehoboam, his son, felt the need to compare and compete with his father's sexuality because these men are reducing manhood to sexual uh, performance and even size of genitalia. My pinky is going to be thicker than my father's loins. So what we see here is Rehoboam's insecurities coming out through this foolish declaration because just about every man in the world thinks that his thing is bigger than everybody else's thing because he's reduced things to manhood and big things to being a big man. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's quiet in here, but it's right. A lot of us grew up believing the lie as men. That what's between your legs and in your pants is what makes you a man. Well, hold on. One aspect of toxic masculinity is when manhood is reduced to this. When manhood is reduced to the size of one's genitalia, you've missed the true meaning of what it means to be a man. Having male genitalia might make you a male, but it surely doesn't make you a man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you can have the parts, but that doesn't make you a man. And then there are some men who are born without the parts. Jesus said, some are born as eunuchs. Are they less of men? Because again, manhood cannot be defined by your genitalia. Maleness is, but not manhood. Manhood is someone, a man, a man is someone who rejects passivity. A man is someone who accepts responsibility. And a man is someone who leads by serving. I ain't say nothing about genitalia in defining what a man is. But we heard the lies growing up. And ladies, let me say this to you. This, this is for free. Some of you will bypass a man of character looking for a man with something, as the song says, with the tool in his pants. And some of you will compromise your Christian standards and start having sex before marriage because you say, I need a test drive before I really commit to buy this thing. And if the sex ain't right, then you don't want to get married. But you fool around and marry somebody whose sex is right but y'all can't stay married. Okay, 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 okay. Y'all don't want to be real? It's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than that. You want to grow old together. It's got to be more than that. Rehoboam's insecurity. My finger's going to be thicker than my father's loins. Who told him that? His homeboys, they gassed him up. Toxic. Well, here's some takeaways. Well, let me read this first from a, a man named Reverend Benjamin Kramer. He said, with all this talk of men needing to be men, 
Just imagine how Jesus would be treated for washing feet, for weeping, for being single, for riding a donkey instead of a horse, for loving his enemies rather than fighting them, and for telling people to put their swords away. They would question his manhood today. But I don't know a greater man than the son of man who's the son of God, Jesus Christ. So let me give you some things to take home with you. Number one, don't make the mistake of making up your mind before you get counsel. Rehoboam made up his mind. So when he didn't hear what he wanted to hear, he rejected the counsel of the old guys. But he heard what he wanted to hear when he talked to the young guys. So he made his mind up before he even got counsel. And there are many people that before they even go to you for counsel, they've already made up their mind what they're going to do. They're just going through the motions to say that they did it. Secondly, beware of seeking counsel from people who will tell you what you want to hear. Because what you want to hear is not always what you need to hear. Thirdly, when you need counsel, don't skip God by going to people first. I told you, Rabbi Bowman, he did the right thing. He went to the elders. But you see nowhere where he went to God. And that's how a lot of us are. We're going through something and we need wisdom. We need direction. And rather than reaching out to the author and the finisher of our faith, we talk to everybody else but God. We're not in the word of God so the Holy Spirit can speak to us. Don't bypass God. The Bible says in James 1.5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. What would we do? Let me ask my neighbor. Let me ask my friend. Let me ask my coworker. Let me ask. You better talk to God. Another thing, when you need counsel, try going to people who have experience in what you're going through or about to go through. You don't have to have gone through something to have wisdom. But man, when you've gone through something, you really do have wisdom. So talk to some people who've been there. When Rehoboam talks to the guys he grew up with, none of them knew anything about ruling like the elders who were in Solomon's office and administration. So he's asking people who've never been there to tell him what to do and rejecting the counsel of people who have been there. And admit that you're drawn to toxic counsel because you're toxic yourself because you have toxic friends. And I'm, I'm going to say that slower. We got toxic friends because we're toxic. Birds of a feather are toxic together. <laughs> and you're drawn to them because that junk is in you. And you don't want to admit it. You just think everybody else is toxic, not you. But your friends are toxic. So you go to them. So just admit that, man, I'm toxic myself. Because if they came to me and asked me for wisdom, I'm probably going to say the same thing that they're saying to me because it's in me just like it's in them. You got toxic friends because you toxic. Another thing is, who you go to for counsel reflects on who you are as a person. Who you go to for counsel reflects on who you are as a person. And we got teenagers who will not go to their parents for counsel. Parents who've been there, done that, who survived the teen years. You'd rather talk to Joe Schmo, that's an old school name, round the corner who ain't done nothing, then sit and talk to your parents. Something's not right. Oh, there's some toxicity in you, and you're going to them reflects on who you are. 
Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. And be mindful that your toxic choices will negatively impact other people. So if you're connected to me and you do something toxic, it hurts me. If I do something toxic and you're connected to me, it hurts you. So it's just not all about you. It's about people who are connected to you. So stop being selfish and be mindful and thoughtful. Another thing is when you make a toxic decision, take responsibility for it and repent. And don't ruin your apology with an excuse. Just say, I was wrong. I, I messed up. Repent. If you're alive, as Ben said, there's hope. Number 10, remember that God's grace is greater than your toxicity. And that's for all of us. Because technically we're all toxic because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's not the things that go into a man, Jesus said, that makes him unclean. It's the stuff that comes out of his heart. And but by the grace of God. And but by the grace of God. And some of us went there, but the grace of God rescued us from toxic counsel and decisions. That's why we can talk to you. And as Elder Sherman said, the scars that we have brought upon ourselves by the grace of God have become beauty marks and teaching lessons. That's why you need to be around the house of God and people with some gray in their hair, people who have some experience. So Rehoboam listened to toxic counsel, and he applied toxic counsel. This ended up harming him, splitting the kingdom of Israel, and harming innocent people. Sad. He's going to die early because he began his reign listening to toxic counsel. And even Jeroboam, who was this righteous man, once he becomes king of the northern kingdom, by being elevated, getting that power, he stops looking to God, and he does all kinds of wicked things himself. And in the northern kingdom, there would never be one righteous king. So Jeroboam was cool, but once he got the position, it exposed his lack of character. But all of this was from the Lord. But the southern kingdom, David, there would be a descendant who would come. And this is the good news. Oh, there's bad news with Rehoboam, but, but here's the good news. The good news is that Rehoboam was in the right bloodline. In the tribe of Judah, he was in the right bloodline. Matthew 1.7, when it speaks of Jesus' genealogy, it says, Solomon begot Rehoboam, who took on toxic counsel. But he's in the right bloodline by the grace of God. Because Matthew 1.16 says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So a toxic man, along with a whole bunch of other toxic people, are in this bloodline leading to the Messiah. Because, because when you see that name, Jesus, who is the Christ... As Rance Allen, the late Rance Allen would say, there's just something about the name of Jesus. That where toxicity abounds, the grace of Jesus superabounds. You see, whenever I see that name, whenever I hear that name, whenever I call on that name, it reminds me that I'm in the bloodline and, and his grace, his mercy is enough for all my mess. 
messes and his tenderness is there for my toxicity. I'm in the bloodline. His grace not only covers me, but motivates me to live a different way, to live upright for him. I'm not going to stay toxic. I'm going to do the righteous thing because of his blood that covers me. So if you've made toxic decisions, you've adhered to toxic counsel, it's not too late. Because the blood of Jesus is the only remedy for coming out from toxicity. Are you in the right bloodline today? Is Jesus your savior? Has he forgiven you of all your sins? I'm forgiven today. And it's not by any righteous things that I've done. It's only by the mercy of God. I received Jesus, the one who died on the cross for all of our toxins. Oh, in two weeks, we're going to finish up this series with a message called Toxic Deliverance. And we're going to talk about how the children of Israel who were bitten by vipers received toxin. But Moses was instructed, uh, 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 make a viper and make it bronze and put it on a pole so that those who've been bitten by a toxic creature can look to this bronze toxic replica and be saved. Oh, we're going to break that down to how Jesus talked about that, how we're saved from our toxicity by looking at the one who died on the cross for all of our toxins. Toxic deliverance. But today, you can be delivered. You don't have to wait till two weeks because we don't know if you'll make it today. Everyone stand to your feet and let's pray. Let's pray. I want to pray a prayer with you. If there's someone here today you don't know Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loved you so much that he took your penalty in his body on that cross. He took your place so that you wouldn't have to die the death that you deserve because you've sinned. And you've fallen short of God's glory and the wages of sin is death, physical death, spiritual death, and even eternal death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When the graduates were called by name, they all came up and they received gifts. They received the gift. If you would like to receive the gift of salvation today, it's not by works, it's by grace. Pray with me, Father, thank you for Jesus who came from a toxic bloodline to save people in his bloodline and to save Gentiles alike from our sin. The lamb was slain, not only before the foundation of the world, but he was slain at the right time in Jerusalem, on Calvary, on Golgotha, to save the world from sin. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came into the world to save the world. But in order to be saved, you have to receive the gift. You have to trust him. You have to ask him, Lord, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Church won't do it. Being good won't do it. You need Jesus to do it because he did it for you. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, would you say, Pastor Chris, I realize today that I don't know Jesus Christ. I, I've never asked him into my life. But today I want to do that. 
I want to know him for myself. With everyone praying, would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to know Jesus. Would you raise your hand and just say, Pastor, I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Pastor, I want to know Jesus. When the thief was on the cross, he said, Jesus, remember me today. And wherever you are, for those who've raised their hands, for those who did not, and you don't know him, but you want to know him, would you say to Jesus, Jesus, remember me today. Jesus, forgive me today. Jesus, I trust you today. I believe you died for me because you love me. And I'm so glad you rose from the dead. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now fill me with your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. I'm born again. All of my sins have been forgiven. And I am your child. And I thank you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together today and And as Jonathan said, Lord, we're leaving out better than how we came in. Thank you for the testimonies. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for your presence. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, we thank you, Lord, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you, Lord, that your angels encamp around your children. We thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy that follow us every day. Today, Lord, our faith has increased because we heard the word of God. But Lord, deliver us from thinking that we can only hear the word on Sunday from someone else. May we be intentional throughout the week to have you speak to us through the word of God so that we might be equipped as your disciples to live the way you've called us to live with no apology. Teach us who we are and whose we are and why we are will be a whole lot easier. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. And it's according to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. If you receive the gift of salvation, I'll be standing around here for a little bit. I've got to go to a baccalaureate for my daughter, but I'll be standing here. I just want to rejoice with you. If you receive the gift of salvation, come talk to me, come shake my hand so I can rejoice with the angels in heaven. You are dismissed. Have a blessed, blessed, blessed day.